0: Oh, sure, if you'll make your way forward, we're sharing our offering together this morning. If you're visiting first time here, new here, uh, didn't come thinking about giving an offering, don't think about it now. Uh, we give as part of our worship, but you're under no obligation. We're just glad to have you. Uh, we realize everything that we have has come by God's gracious hand, and we give back, and it helps uh, ministry happen in the church. If you're visiting, we're just glad to have you this morning and, and hope that you'll feel welcome. A couple of things for you just real quickly. One, we just had a night of worship this past week. I know many of you were there. I just want to thank our whole worship department for putting on that night. We've got, we do that a couple of times during the year. If you've not attended one of those nights, I just want to encourage you to make your way to one of those nights of worship. If you have a tendency to look at the world and get nervous and worried, come to a night of worship. Because when you can take about an hour, an hour, ten minutes worth of time and just focus on God and who God is, it takes the rest of the world and puts it all in perspective. So if you have anxious moments... Come to night of worship and get your get your perspective back. And my thanks to the team who uh, put those nights together and participated in those nights. Uh, just a reminder, when you came in this morning, you probably received, should have received, uh, Easter invite card. We are three weeks away from Easter, and I'm pretty excited. Looks like we're going to have a white Easter. Um, <laughs> So that's you know, that's that's good, uh, but we're three weeks away. This has all of the service times for all the campuses, starting on Friday night with Good Friday at North Avenue Campus, Saturday and Easter egg hunt down there, Saturday night service here, then services on Sunday both sites. Uh, this is the means for you in which to talk to friends or invite them to come and be a part of that weekend. You've heard me say this over and over again. I'll continue to say it. There are so many people who never venture in to attending church because their friend assumed they wouldn't come if they asked them. So there's so many people that never take that step into the church for the first time because no one's invited them because friends just didn't think they'd come. You'd be surprised if you invite someone and say, hey, why don't you come with me on Easter? Uh, you got multiple services to choose from, including Saturday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and we'd love to have you come and be a part of that as we're getting ready uh, for Easter weekend. So you've got some time, but be thinking about it uh, as uh, you're getting those cards and using those. So this morning, I want to get into a, a, a short series, message series, together, let me begin by a little pastoral transparency here. So pastors have fears, we all have fears, but besides the normal fears of life, pastors have some specific fears, and and for me, there'd be some very specific fears, I'll give you three, three things. Two of them are dreams that I've had, and I've been doing this for a long time, and I still have these nightmares. The first one is, I'm asked to speak, um, and it's usually not here, it's usually somewhere else, I'm asked to speak somewhere, and I can't find my pants. Um... (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating. I will wake up like, oh, you know, I, I mean, somehow I got here without him. I'm in the, the, the back room waiting to speak. And it's like, how do you forget your pants? And I have this dream. Uh, but the, the, that one is bad enough. But the second one is, is I mean, it's just a reality. I, I'm asked to speak. And again, it's usually not here. It's usually somewhere else. And I'm getting ready to speak. And I realize I'm, I'm, I'm seconds away. The song, last song's being sung. And I've got nothing to say nothing I know hard to believe I would have nothing to say I and I'm, I'm panicked it's like I didn't I didn't prepare what you know how could this be and then I go into this thing where I don't know what to say and so I'm frantically looking for my notes I'm looking for something and of course I get done singing and they stop and the room is just just sits there silent waiting And by the time I find something, I get out. Most of the people have left. I have these nightmares over and over. Let me give you a third one. Those are dreams. Let me give you a third one, which is—I mean, I had those dreams. I mean, that's very legitimate. But this one is a fear I've had, which is going to explain a lot to you. Um, for years, and I still have this. I have had this fear of my sermons being too short. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I've I had, there's something about it, I've had this fear, like, if, if, I, if I'm short, they'll think I'm not working hard enough, I haven't put enough time in. You know, if I get up in 20 minutes, and I'm done, you're going to go, oh, what'd he do this week? And so, I work hard to overcome that, uh, so that's, that's kind of why I go at that. But very sincerely, I, that's been one of these things. But Let me give you a third one, or a fourth one, I should say, which is kind of a universal fear pastors would have, and that is this, you don't want to get up and fail, Meaning this, I don't know when my worst sermon ever was, but I don't want it to be today. That's kind of a fear thing. What's interesting, if you go back and look in Scripture, you'll find John chapter 6. John's an eyewitness, followed Jesus and wrote his eyewitness account. Jesus had a sermon where the people walked out on him. They had, he had a sermon where he's preaching, and the people are at such a level where they're going, bah, this is crazy, I'm not, you know, not going to be a part of this, and they actually walk out. Now, I'm happy to say, that's never happened to me yet, so I feel very good about myself. But I have to also say to you that in this week, next couple of weeks, maybe that will be my moment, because I want to do a little series, I want to talk about some things that quite honestly, you just might be offended by. It might be offensive. Um... And so our title for my series is going to be, That's Crazy. And at times, you just might think that what we're going to talk about is absolutely crazy. Now, let me tell you why it might offend you. It might offend you because I'm going to try to teach you to do something that you're sure you already know how to do. did not that offend you just a little bit? When you're doing something, you're in the kitchen and you're doing something, and your wife comes on, or if you know she's the one, or you come in, and you go you're doing that wrong. Is that helpful? That's not helpful. I've been doing this for 40 years. I think I know how to peel potato, okay? So that's not helpful. But there are moments in our lives where we are doing something and someone comes along and says, you don't know what you're doing. And that can be offensive. And it could be offensive because I want to talk about something. I want to talk about getting you to do something. And in fact, let me switch that. This is not about doing. I want to talk, I want to help, to help you to learn how to not do something, but how to be someone. That my guess is you already feel that you've got it, that you're it. And so it can be offensive when someone tries to do that. Now, statistically, I know that um, most Americans are not this, this thing I'm going to talk about in a minute. Most Americans are not this, but most Americans believe they are this. That's what's kind of interesting thing. And let me be very, very clear here this morning as we get started. If you attend this church, if you attend Essex Alliance Church or North Avenue Campus, you are above-average person. I got it. In fact, if you're visiting this morning, you are clearly above-average by your choice to visit here this morning. I got it. But as above-average as we might think ourselves to be, we are probably just average. And the average typical American typically looks at their life and says, I got this, when they actually don't have this. So what is it that I'm going to teach you to be? I want us to learn to be generous. And immediately, for many of us, we'd go, well, I got this. I am generous, but stick with me here for a little bit. Um, Because typically, we talk about generosity, and we kind of go, yeah, I know how to give. I'm not talking about giving. You see, giving is easy. Generous is something totally different and uh and this is not a to-do don't forget this is how to be now today is a kind of a big introduction to the next couple of weeks you're just going to have to stick with me through the introduction and we'll come back next week we're going to get a little deeper into scripture now here's what i know about me here's what i know about you The moment that someone says to you that you are something or you are not doing something, some critical thing, as soon as they say that, we immediately respond in the opposite because we're sure that we are. It's like my wife says, you know, you really don't help around the clean up around the house very much. Immediately I say, well, how about that time in 2021? where I put my dish in the dishwasher. Are you saying that's not contributing to cleaning around the house? See, what we do is when someone catches on something and, 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 and presses in on something in our lives, we immediately think of the one time that we actually did do it, so we can counter it and say, no, that's not true because I have the evidence that goes with it. So here's my statement. As we, as we walk through this, you may have a tendency at times to push back or be defensive, and I would just invite you not to. Just to listen, take it in, and then use what you can now the truth of it is, you've probably never had anyone teach you to be generous, and generosity is something that tends to be needs to be learned. We're going to talk about more of that, about that next week. Now we talk about generosity. We're not talking about and this is kind of key here. This is where we begin to disagree. We're not talking about random acts of charity. We're not talking about random acts of giving. We're not that. The fact is, most random acts of giving happen as a result of some kind of outside stimulus. Now, just think about that. Most random acts of giving that we're a part of typically comes as a result of someone asking us to do something, someone inspiring us to do something, or someone perhaps making us feel guilty into doing something. So most random acts of giving comes as a direct result of some kind of outside stimulus, which kind of gets, gets to us and then we respond. I'm not talking about random acts of giving. Now, I'm all for them, 100%. If you want to write a check this morning randomly for $100,000, I would say thank you and I would say come back again, please, next week. But we're not talking about that. Not at all. Generosity is better than random acts of giving. But now, catch, here's the, here's the, here's the hook. Generosity is better for you as a generous person. You see, generosity is better for you. Generosity has far more benefits for you as the generous person than it actually does for anyone who's on the receiving end of it. Your generosity is in your best interest. And now catch this. Generosity actually transcends guilt and encouragement. Catch that? The people who are generous aren't affected by guilt pitches. They're not affected by the pictures and the things that kind of make them feel guilty. They're not affected by the having to have a presentation that's really done really, really well to get them to give money. Not affected by that. They're kind of above that, beyond that. Now, here's an incredible truth about generosity. The incredible truth. First of all, that when you become, when you learn to become generous, you're going to give more. And people, somewhere you're saying, well, that's no secret there. Of course, that's the whole purpose of the sermon, right? No, it's not. Here's the surprise piece. Now, catch this. People who learn to be generous actually save more and actually have more and actually consume less. Think about that. And I'm being very sincere here. That's the opposite, that's the other side of generosity that you don't get. See, when you think generosity, and I I start talking about that, immediately some of you went, okay, he's going to talk about money. Oh, now he's really bending himself to get a new twist on this thing. I need you to know that when you live a generous life, when that generosity begins to be the focal point of how you're going to live with your resources, you actually have more. You will actually save more. You will actually be less of a consumer. Now, quite honestly, I want to talk to a small group of you. There's some very small group of you who probably save a lot and have. In fact, you've probably saved so much that you're probably even hoarding stuff. When you learn to be generous, you probably aren't going to save any more because you've already saved a lot and you probably even have enough. But interestingly enough, you still worry about money. Why? Because you probably haven't learned to be generous. Even though you might write checks with lots of zeros and be a very, very good giver. But even with the zeros, you may not be generous even though you might feel like it. But if you learned to be generous, if you have been taught... As to what generous looks like, it's life-changing, life-changing. Now, what's interesting, we have a, a couple of key promises here. The promise I just gave you is that if you learn to be generous, you'll have more, and you'll save more. But let's bring Jesus into the mix. Jesus says this, be generous, and you'll be happier. Be generous, and you'll be happier. Be generous, and you'll sleep better at night. Be generous, and you'll be less anxious. So those are some pretty good promises. And the happier piece, that's the key piece we're going to focus on. You're going to be happier. You ever met a grumpy, generous person? No. Because it doesn't walk hand in hand. People who are generous are not typically people who are just grumpy, angry people. You find people of joy who, who, who are the people who are generous. Now, let me take this one step further as far as some commitments. If you learn to be generous, you'll you'll have more, save more. You'll be happier. But if you're a parent here, and you're a parent, and you've got a middle school student, you've got a high school student, you've got a college student, I want to give you this promise right here. You come every week, these next couple of weeks. In fact, you sit in those first three rows. Make sure your kids are here. Give them a pad of paper. Give them a pencil so they can take notes. Listen, when you're old, they'll have more money to take care of you. Isn't that a good deal right there? That's a good promise all by itself. You'll set them up so that one day you can look at them and say, hey, you got this, right? And they'll go, absolutely, because they're going to learn some very key principles. Now, joking aside, when you learn to be generous, this is life-changing. Now, there's a sorry fact about us Americans in general, and here's the sorry fact about us. We tend, and this, this may not be you, I got that. But in general, as Americans, we tend to spend more than we make. And to do that, we tend to take a big hit on the percentage points of interest to live that way. So we usually spend more than we make and we pay interest to live that way. That's kind of who we are. Now, that's a crazy statement by itself. But let me give you a really crazy statement I want you to process. Most of us as Americans do not feel rich, but we are. We do feel generous, and we're not. Typically, we don't feel rich. We don't feel rich until I bring an uh, immigrant uh, third-world country family over to visit you in your house or your apartment. And they're looking at your apartment, and they're going, Wow, you have a bed? And while you're trying to describe the financial pressures that you feel, they're going, So water comes out of that, and you can drink that water? Wait, no you don't. You have a bathtub. And what we're trying to fix, to explain to them, the financial pressures that we feel, they're looking at us and they're going, "This is unbelievable." You see, we don't think we're rich when we are. We also times think we're generous and oftentimes we are not. You see generosity, and here's where we kind of get, get into the weeds here a little bit to get help us think this through. Generosity is not just the moment where I take something that belongs to me and I give it to you out of the goodness of my heart. See, that's not necessarily generosity. Now we feel good about it, but that's not really generosity. So let me real quickly, before I give you a definition of generosity, before we look at one little verse in scripture, let me quickly give you four myths about generosity, four mistruths. The first one is that generosity is usually spontaneous. That generosity is one of those things that happens because I, I was out shopping the other day and the kids were out raising some money and they looking for five bucks. I gave them 20. You know, a generous, generous moment, I feel really good about myself. You know, the kids are out selling popcorn. The Boy Scouts are selling popcorn. The Girl Scouts are selling cookies. And why they always come to my house? I don't know. Uh, but they do... Um, or they're selling the, the sporting event. You know, the, the high school sell the sport card, the cards where you can get you know, little coupons to go to restaurants. Well, I know why they come to my house is because for years, you know, if she's there for their cookies, I'm going, give me a case. What kind? What kind do you have? I got four types. Well, then give me four cases. You know, and a lot of us will look at that and yeah, we're buying cookies, but we feel really good about the fact that we, you know, just spontaneous in the moment. Generosity does not necessarily mean spontaneous. Myth number two is that a lot of us believe that generosity is determined by my cash flow. Kind of goes like this. I can be generous because I just got paid this week. Or the opposite of that is, well, I can't be generous right now because it's at the end of the month. So I can't be generous. See, people somehow believe the myth that generosity is based on their cash flow. People who give when they can afford it and don't give when they can't afford it are typically not generous people because you see, generous is consistent, so that's a myth, let me give a third myth, the third myth is that in generosity, the amount counts, that in generosity, you know, the amount, that's a big deal, um, and you ever watch the news, you ever see an event? UVM will get a big gift and they'll be on there and they'll do the, they'll do the ceremony where they receive the gift and someone will get up and say, This and such and such a family has given an incredibly generous gift. We're so thankful for their generosity. And the truth of it is, when someone gives a gift and the words are that an incredible generous gift, we don't know if it's generous or not, right? Truth of it is, there's only one person who knows if it really is generous. And that's the person who's giving the gift. Now, I can look at a really big gift and think, man, that's generous because it's far more than I could give. It's far more than I could imagine giving. It, it goes beyond what the resources that I have. But the truth of it is, at the end of the day, the only person who knows when they stand there and say an incredibly generous gift, the only person who knows if it's generous or not is the person who's actually giving the gift. And so it's a myth to think that with generosity, the amount counts. There be a fourth myth that we get kind of caught into. And that is that rich people are generous. The wealthy people, you know, wealthy people are generous people. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, Scott, I got it, I got it, I got it. And uh, you're going to talk about generosity, but I'm, 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 in a, I'm early in, in my life, I'm in my 20s, or I have a tough uh, financial goings on right now. And, and when, when I get a little more rich, when I get out of the problems I'm in right now, then I'll be generous. Now, hear this. Rich people are rich, wealthy people are wealthy, and generous people are generous. And those two worlds don't necessarily walk hand in hand. But see, we think it does. We're convinced in most of our thoughts that if if I had more, and when you get wealthy, that kind of walks hand in hand. Listen, I got news for you. If you're in your 20s right now, and you're not generous in your 20s, when you're in your 40s, 40s and your 50s, and you have a whole lot more money, you probably aren't going to be any more generous. You're just going to have more money. Because generosity is something that is learned and doesn't just go with the paycheck. You see, generosity has to be learned. It's something that is not intuitive to us. And as hard as this is to believe, there is no correlation between how much money you have or how much money that you make and whether or not that you'll be generous or not. I was invited at one point. Someone wanted to make a substantial gift, part of an institutional thing, and wanted to give a substantial gift. And I said, "That's great." And they said, "Well, i would like you to receive it. They'd like to, you to receive it personally uh, and have a personal visit with them in their home." I said, "Okay, great." Went, sat down. I sat down, and for an hour and a half, I listened to them pontificate about how how generous and humble they were, and blah blah blah. blah. I went on, on all that, and I got through. I've been there before. Got through that. And then they switched before the gift actually came. Then they switched to tell me all the things that they'd like to see different in the church. Uh, you know, you could see me, I think as the pastor, you could change this and change this and do this and do that. And you know, all this sort of things, we finally get done. Then you get to the gift. Well, I got news for you. Number one, it wasn't a generous gift. Now, I can say that, number one, simply because I, kept, I happened to know their, their, their the person's wealth because they let everybody know their wealth, and by the sheer numbers didn't match up. But on top of that, it was more like a bribe. And so when you're talking about generosity, don't get wrapped up in the wealthy are the ones that are generous. Now, I, um, I said there were four myths, but I'm going to actually add a fifth one in here. Let me give you a fifth myth, and that is this. Christians, church people, are naturally generous. Now, I admit to you that that seems like it ought to be the case, right? I mean, let's be honest. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you had a debt that you could not pay. And Jesus Christ comes and says, I will give my life for yours. He dies on the cross to take our sins and I mean, more generous a spirit, you would never find. More generous an act, you would never find. So it would make sense to think that those of us who have had our lives redeemed by Jesus Christ would be the most generous people in the entire world. But we all know it, sadly, that's not necessarily the case. Doesn't, just doesn't typically work that way. And so no, just because a person's a follower of Jesus does not mean that they're going to be generous or because they attend church, they're going to be generous. So let me give you a simple definition. A simple definition of generous. Now, if you go look in the dictionary, you'll find this as a definition. The gener- that being generous is a readiness to give more than is necessary or expected. And that actually works. But the thing I like best about it is it talks about a readiness. Generous is a readiness. I like that. It's a person who is watching and waiting for the opportunity to give more than what might be expected or that which is necessary. But let me add to that our definition how we'll work through this. And here it is. Generous is the intentional and the deliberate plan to set your finances free. In the context of a Christian environment and, and people that would say we believe in the Bible, that to be generous is to intentionally live my life in such a way is to set my finances free. That fits right into a world definition of a readiness, a readiness to do something that goes beyond what people expect. And it fits into this picture. an Intentional actions designed to set my money free. This is not a sermon, and not a series. These next couple of weeks about you fi- being uh, generous with your time, or generous with your relationships, or generous with your talents. We're going to talk about generosity with your resources. Now, those principles transfer to all those things, but we're going to talk about money. Now, in the definition, notice that I said setting your money free. This is very, very important. Because in setting your money free, this is so critical. When you set your money free, you actually set yourself free. And what most of us don't get is the fact that we are actually imprisoned by our money. Now, please hear me out here. You don't have to be in great debt to be imprisoned by your money. When I talk about being imprisoned by money, I'm not talking about the, the, just the people that are so in debt they can't make their payments. No, no. If you're watching the world financial picture out there with some anxiousness, maybe, maybe there's an imprisonment that's happening that we grab our, kind of grabs our senses and makes us go, ooh, what about the money piece? Generosity helps with that. We're going to talk about that. Now, when you begin to view your life, or view life, I should say, through the lens of generosity... When you begin to order your life around freeing your money up, you will actually be free. And make no mistake, your life will be radically changed. Now, every sermon has to have scripture, so let me give you a scripture verse. I'm only going to give one. Now, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm going to say I'm only giving one to help, help some of you out and keep you from writing me letters. But I'm having one because it should be in a sermon. But please know, you don't have to send me a note that goes, you know, the whole thing in just one verse. If you want me to preach for two hours straight, I can get into a complete exegesis of Scripture. But if you'll let me do the introduction this week, come back next week and I'll jump in deeper. But I want to give you one key verse which is critical to starting our pathway together here. It's a verse that most of us actually know the, the wording of it. But for many of us, we might be surprised that it's actually a Bible verse might actually really be surprised that Jesus actually said it. It might throw you off to think, man, that was a Jesus statement. Uh, we would just think it's a nice thing. It's something you might have in your house on the wall, might have it on a plaque, might have it on a pillow, uh, but it's actually a Jesus statement. In fact, this statement is so popular in the world and has been that it's actually lost the meaning that, that is it critical to understanding it when Jesus gave it and when Paul then passed it along to us. Let me give you the background to it. Uh, in Romans chapter 20, in fact, I, I first service I said Ephesians 20 because I'm talking about the church at Ephesus. Romans chapter 20 is one of the most powerful passages, chapters in Scripture, emotional, because it's a moment when the Apostle Paul is saying farewell to the people in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. Let me just give you some quick background here. This is a, if if you have time this afternoon, read this passage from Romans chapter 20. The Apostle Paul had been, his missionary journey's been planting churches. He had a strong, strong church in Ephesus. They cared for him. He cared for them. And this is the moment where the Apostle Paul is getting ready to leave Ephesus and he's going to Jerusalem. And he knows that when he goes to Jerusalem, this is the end. Now, he doesn't know that for sure. He's not God, so he doesn't have all knowledge. But he's pretty, pretty sure what's going to take place. That if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. If he gets arrested, it's not going to end well, probably with his death. And so he's telling these people in Ephesus, this is, this is his family. They, he loves them. They love him. He's telling them it's time for him to go, that he's on his way to Jerusalem. So while he's saying he's leaving, they're pleading with him to stay. It's a very powerful, very emotional moment while he's walking through this. And as he's walking through this farewell to them, he's giving them a challenge how he wants them to live their lives. And In fact, what he says is this. He says, listen, when I was living with you, as I've been with you, I have modeled for you a generous life. Now, please know, he's not bragging. He's, he's, not, he's using himself as an example, but he's not holier than thou. He's basically saying, I have tried to model for you what it means to be generous. And he said, but I'm leaving, and I want you to be generous. I want you to live generous lives. And then he makes a statement that sets up this, this verse that we'll look at. Uh, and and, and the, the saying was so popular, everyone would know the saying back then, But I think it's almost a case where he's saying, I just want to remind you that these were actually the words of Jesus. And so he sets it up and he says this, in everything I did, this is Acts 20 verse 35, the first part of the verse, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. He sets it up by saying, I just want to remind you that everything that we have done has been done to be living generous lives to, to the assist, assistance of other people. We, we serve others. He goes, so I set that up for you. And then comes the statement. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, he says this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's our verse right there, that piece. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now you've all heard that statement. You've used that statement. You've practiced it. Now, here's my contention. My contention is when you've heard that statement or thought about that statement, it is more blessed to give than receive. My contention is that 90 to 100% of the time, whenever you've thought of that, has been right after you've given something someone and done something nice and you felt good about it. You just gave them a check. You just gave them the groceries. You just gave them some, some gas for their car, whatever it might be. And as soon as you did it, you said in your mind, oh, it's more blessed to give than receive. It really is. I, I, I'm being sincere. I'll bet 90% of the time, the only time we think about that is when we've just done something and it actually does feel good. There's actually that moment where you kind of go, yeah, I, that does feel good. Now, I know what you're saying. Th- if, you're, if you're truthful here, let's be honest. Yeah, it is more blessed to give than receive. Let's be honest. But, you know, it's very blessed to receive too. You know, most of us would say, yeah, I get it, but nothing wrong with a little receiving sometimes. It's nice to be on the receiving end of something. I got it. But Jesus' words are actually pretty profound. We, we hear those words of Jesus, and typically what most of us think when we hear the idea, more blessed to give than it is to receive, most of, our, most of us think in terms of a moment in time. What happens is this. We think about how we felt the second that we gave something to somebody and we just go, ooh, that just felt good. But I have to tell you, if that's how you view it, then you've completely missed the power of the verse. So you have to understand this piece and then we'll wrap up. The word blessed here, when Jesus said the words, it's more blessed to, to give than to receive. The word blessed he used is the exact same word he used in the Beatitudes, it's the exact same word that he used in the Sermon of the Mount when he was saying, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are, blessed are you when you, you know. He did all these things. It's the same exact word. And if you look at it a little more closely, you'll find that the word means happy. Happy. And so some of us will go, oh, sure, sure. So, yeah, uh, I'm happy when I give. But you still missed it. Because the word that he actually uses here, it means it's a, it's, a, it's a state of the heart. It is not a one-time feeling. See, when we talk about generous. We got this one-time feeling. I just gave, did a nice thing, and I got this moment. We go, yeah, I feel happy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this. A generous life produces a happiness, which is the, is the mark of your life. It's not a moment in your life. Your, your life is marked by happiness. Happiness is the outcome. Happiness is the result of a lifestyle of generosity. You don't just have some happy moments, but what Jesus is trying to say, your life, your outlook, your daily experience is marked by happiness. A happy life is the person whose life is ordered around generosity. Now that has a little more meaning, right? Because now it's not a matter of doing this nice thing. What he's saying is a person who orders their life around the idea and, the, and the, the life theme of generosity, those people have a happiness which does not escape them. It marks their life. Now, let me wrap up. Right now, some of you are thinking, okay, okay. So how many weeks do I have to skip church to get through this series to come back again? So I say to you, stop it. And if you're thinking that, the only reason you're thinking that is because you're thinking, I just don't want to go through this because I know it's all about giving. No, it's not. And then some of you are going, yeah, yeah, I know. It's got listen, but you want something, right? Ultimately, you want money. Listen, friends, I've been doing this long enough. I know how to get money. If I want you to give, I know how to get you to give. I'll just show you a picture like this i just show you a picture of my puppy i mean just be honest here you're, you're watching tv and pictures of the puppies come on and they're being abused and they want you to give and we kind of go duh but that's just the dog i got it i know how to do this i'll show you other pictures how about this picture <laughs> just keep it right up there how about this picture listen folks we've got a nursery downstairs with babies and we want to—we got to change their diapers. And we're out of diapers because we don't have any money. Are you going to let this baby sit and... Or how about this picture? He just learned that we're going to have to cancel the special event we had planned for his, for his group because we're out of money. And in just a minute, we're going to take a special offering. Or this poor child here. I mean, look at her. She's heartbroken because we had to cancel her class. I mean, we are we, we're, we're struggling to find teachers, but but teacher came and teacher has no resources, and so and so. Look at this poor girl. Last ditch effort. She says, "This, please." <laughs> she's look at her face. Look at she Got her. Oh, she's praying to God that you would please give. <laughs> now, listen, folks. I can get money. <laughs> Everything you see on the TV or in the mail is on the same thing. We just got to push the button. We just got to trigger you. We just got to get you engaged. We got to get, you get your heart involved. Do you know that people who are generous are not moved by guilt? Generous people are not moved by guilt. Generous people don't need big presentations. So if you think it's about giving, if you think about getting your money, please know you could not be more wrong. Let me give you two closing pictures. So picture this for a moment. Imagine that suddenly you go into the drawer, wherever you keep your financial stuff at home, you open the drawer and you walk in and there's a checkbook in there you've never seen before. And you go, man, what's this? And you pick it up and open it and you look at it and it's full of money. And you realize that what has happened is someone has taken in the past 10 years of your life, now for some of you, you're a little younger, so maybe it's only a couple of years, but for the past 10 years, someone has gone, God has gone, and he's recouped all of the money you've wasted in the past 10 years. All the stuff that you bought that you said, Oh, I love this car, I hate this car. You know, I mean, you know, all the stuff that you spent money on that in a little bit of distance after the buying it or the spending it, you just wish you had that money back. And God comes along and goes, You know what? I got it, I recouped it. Everything you've wasted in ten years, I got it right there in that check. And there you are. you're going, This is fantastic. And God, yes, and it's yours. I'm giving it back to you. One condition. You can't spend it. You got to give it away. And you know what? We would not balk. You know, we're out there and we're, we drop our kids off at school and they're out there raising money and they need 800 bucks. And you'd go, here's $1,000. And they'd be going, wow, you're rich. And you'd go, I'm glad to do it. There's a family down the street that needs a new car. And they're, they're trying to need repair work, and it's a couple thousand dollars, and you hear about it, and you walk up, and you, go, you know what? Instead of repairing it, I'm just going to get you a new used car. And you just do it. And they go, man, you're rich. You go, no, I, I'm not rich, but i got to tell you a story. This angel showed up and gave me a checkbook full of cash and told me I had to give it away. And then you would say this. I'm just, I'm just betting. You would say, and i got to tell you, I'm having the time of my life. I got to tell you, this is, this is the most fun I've ever had. And I guess you wouldn't be possessive. You wouldn't be hoarding it. You'd be looking for the need. You're going, man, I get to do this. So here's my question for you. Why not just do that going forward from this point in the future? See, when you learn to be generous, you, get to, you save more, have more. You consume less. So maybe going forward, we can regroup and think of all the money you wish you hadn't wasted in the past five to ten years, maybe from this point going forward, you can change the cycle. You can break the cycle and maybe live differently. Jesus said, listen, live a generous life and you'll be happier. And if you think about that picture, I guarantee you, you would have the happiest time in your life writing checks for people and you'd still have plenty. Let me give you a final, a final picture. And with this, we we'll wrap up. So Diane and I were newly married. Oh Well, we got married, and we had a car. I had a, my car had a Chevette, Chevy Chevette. If you, uh, if you don't know what a Chevy Chevette is, take a, go look it up. It's not much of a car. That was our, that was our car. And uh, my first job, our first church, my total salary package total was $13,000. That's what we made. And so Diane needed to go to work so we needed a second car and we couldn't afford a second car so we looked everywhere and we couldn't find a car worth anything so a family knew that we were looking and so a family for the church who had who had who had family at a Ford dealership a little ways away uh got us a car got us a deal in a car so we went to pick it up and we got to we got there to pick up a sight unseen but I couldn't I couldn't say we couldn't say no I mean, they said you could not, you don't have to buy it, but they said this is an incredible deal, so we just went prepared to buy this car. We get there, we feel the story about this car. It's a Ford LTD, two door LTD, emerald green with a white vinyl top, two door. (laughs) Friends, it was a luxury liner in size. You had to park in a parking space with at least 20 foot wide. When those two big doors opened up, it could fly. And it was loaded. It had everything in it you could imagine at that day. Because, and here's what we found out about it, is that it was actually a car that a Ford executive. So this was right outside of the out of the, outside of the Detroit area. So of course, big automotive industry. So this was a Ford executive's car that he drove for two years, and then they sold it to the dealership. And the dealership, the owner of the dealership, he drove it for three or four years. So it had plenty of miles on it, and it had been used, but it was mint, you know. So we got it. And we were happy to have it and it got a good price and it became our primary car man we traveled across country to visit families we we didn't have kids and we got the car but then kids came along they could easily fit in the back good night I could put eight of you back in that back seat and so we put the we put the miles on so it was time to let the old girl go and uh, we didn't have much money. We were making a little more than 13000 a year, but this, not a whole lot more. But time to sell it and let it go. We didn't have, you know, there was no internet back then. I put the car in the front. We had a corner lot, put the car in the front. In front. We had two driveways, a side one, a circular drive in front. Parked it up there, for sale sign, put it out there. I did the research, $1,200, what it's worth. I marketed it for 1000 I needed the cash. And no one. I mean, people would stop and look. A couple phone calls, Nobody. And so, finally, I put a big sign up that says, you know, $1,000 or best offer. Seriously, best offer. You know, it's like, I got to move this thing. So, a woman stops, and she loves the car. She looks at it. She says, I, I really want this car, but I, I don't have $1,000. I said, what do you have? What, what can you do? She said, I can, I can get 750 And she said, that would be a bit of a stretch, but I, 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 would, I would love it. And I said, you know what? Sure it's yours 750 bucks was did, finished the deal right now she said well I can't do it right now it's gonna take me a little time to get the money you know how long uh, maybe a couple of weeks listen in the used car deal you gotta move them you know you gotta get these cars moving and uh and you know so I'm thinking I'm gonna sit in this car uh, and or I'm saying I'm just gonna keep the sign on it and I said well I'll give you two weeks but I'm gonna you know but I don't know something about her I said oh fine so I took the thing off parked the car two weeks later she calls says I have the cash I'll be over so she came over I met her outside says let me walk you through how to start it because you know you know cars they have their thing I said so first thing you do is you sit down and you press the gas pedal once not twice not three times one time push the gas pedal once roll down the window (laughs) beep the horn twice (laughs) click your heels together and say there's no place like home and turn the key and it will start every time so I have it it's running. It's running. She said, "Oh, I'm so happy!" Whatever. We turn the car off. We go in the house. I have her sign a little receipt. She gives us our $750. She walks out. She's so happy. Now you need to know, Diane and I, we 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 just never had a lot of money, and so and I in this pile of money because she gave it to me in twenties, tens, and fives. Most of it tens and fives. So she was struggling. So we got this lot of money. So she leaves and we went. You know, we've never been in a shower of money. So we're having our moment together, laughing. And she's out there, and about 10 minutes later, I look, and the car's still out in the driveway. So I go, ah, what's going on? So I walk out, and I can I can smell gas, which means if you know the car, when she flooded it, she probably pushed the button twice, and she didn't roll the window down. I mean, she did something wrong, but she's sobbing. She's just sobbing. So I I, I come to the window. I said, she said, it won't start and I said, "Trust me, I know what happened. I, I, I'll start your car. Don't worry about it." So I go to the garage. I get a can of starting fluid, ether, you know. And uh, some of you know this. I pop the hood, take the air filter off, open the car, fill that thing up, fill it, put it back. Turns the key, boom, runs, and she's she's beside herself. She's happy. She's wiping her tears. And I grab the hood and I close it. And as I close it, the can of ether that I had, I had forgotten. I left it in there, and I had it kind of propped up by the window, so I went boom, and as soon as I went boom, I watched the windshield just go, (laughs) and crack, and then crack again right in front of her, and now she starts sobbing again, and I'm like, (laughs) and I am like, you have got to be kidding me, you know, I'm so close here so I open, I <laughs> get my can out and close it. I go back up and I, and I, and I, I said, listen, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll give you money. I'll give you money for the window. She says, you don't understand. I'm buying this car on my own because my husband won't have anything to do with it. He doesn't want me to buy a car. He thinks he thinks I'm ignorant. I, I, I'm going to get taken and he won't help me. I'm all on my own. And he's already told me anything I do is going to, I'm not going to get a deal, but I'm going to get ripped off and whatever. And she's just crying, sobbing. It's like, oh, I said, wait here. So I go in the house. I Gather money up. I take half of it. Go back out to her, and I say, "Here, here's half of, here's half of that money. Here's like four hundred dollars, three hundred fifty dollars." And I said, um, "And on top of that, here's fifty dollars for the windshield." Now you go tell your husband. He can't be angry because you are an incredible negotiator. See, he said you couldn't get a deal. You got a car; it's worth twelve hundred dollars, and you negotiated me down to three hundred fifty dollars. Plus, here's money for the windshield. I will never forget the look on her face, or the look on Diane's face <laughs> when I went in, and she said, "What? What just happened?" I said, "You just gener- generously gave her half of you give her your half of the money." Yeah, yeah. Nope, she wasn't that way at all. But listen, here's the thing. Very sincerely, I'll never forget that woman's face, but I will never forget the feeling of two pretty young kids who were learning what it meant to be generous and who recognized maybe in a moment's time that that money didn't own us, even though there's all sorts of things we could do with it. But in that moment, we realized there's a power that happens when the money doesn't own you, when you know it. I am so glad that we began to learn what it was like to be generous. No, no gloating here, no holier now. I'm glad we learned that early. So stick with me, okay? Next couple of weeks. Let's see how different your, your life might look. Stand, please. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I pray that you will help us to get past the moment that you're not talking about just feeling good in the moment. You're talking about happiness being the hallmark of our lives if we would live and pattern our lives around generosity. Thank you for being so generous with me, with your grace, so generous to us with your grace. May we be as gracious as you. Dismiss us in your grace today, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.